1: see, in reality, you and I don't know what we're doing either. When we rebel against God, when the great love of God reaches out to us and is given so much to obtain and to secure our salvation, and yet we continually turn in acts of rejection, acts of rebellion, acts of disobedience. And yes, brothers and sisters, even for you and I as Christians, as people who say we are the children of God being disobedient children
0: as Jesus hung on the cross in unimaginable pain he was able to look out on his accusers with compassion and grace in his heart the sin of every man woman and child starting with Adam was responsible for putting him on that cross as pastor David reminds us every time we choose selfishness and sin we are rejecting the salvation that was purchased on that instrument of torture even still He died for us, knowing that he was bringing hope to the hopeless and redemption for those who accept his gift. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, The Wondrous Wretched Cross.
1: Of our earlier understanding has been that the cross was in the shape of a lowercase T, like the ones we have on the wall here. Again, where the, the the horizontal bar going across was located on a on a portion of the upright. But through additional studies, through archaeological discoveries, we find out that very likely during the time of Christ, it could have been the cross in the shape of a capital T, to where the crossbar was actually sitting on top of the upright post, that crossbar being called the patibulum in the in the Latin. It had a recessed socket in it. So once the victim was nailed onto the patibulum, that crossbar, he, through his body as well as the, the, the bar itself, the Roman soldiers, would lift all of that up and then drop it into place on that upright. Again, in Jesus' case, he carried that patibulum weighing in the neighborhood of 100 pounds as he headed to that place called Golgotha or Calvary, the place of the skull. And again, as they got there, the condemned person would then be nailed to it and it would be then lifted up and attached to the upright. And again, since the Romans used this form of execution so often throughout all of their empire, the horrors of crucifixion Touched the whole known world. As a matter of fact, Cicero, one of Rome's own politicians, a philosopher, an orator, he described crucifixion this way. He said it is a most cruel and disgusting punishment, and suggested that the very mention of the cross should be far removed from only, uh, from not only from every Roman citizen's body, but from his mind his eyes, and his ears. And yet, as vile, as contemptible, and disgusting as this particular instrument of execution was, for the Christian, it became an instrument of our redemption. That's why we put crosses on the wall. That's why we wear crosses, because it's a reminder for us, not the vileness, not the the grossness of it, but of the sweetness of redemption that was purchased on the cross. A hundred years ago, a fellow by the name of George Bennett wrote these words that are probably familiar to most all of you this morning. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. It was the emblem of suffering and shame. But I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction to me, for the dear Lamb of God left his glory above, to bear it to dark Calvary. In that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For 'twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and to sanctify me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies. At last I lay down. I'll cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. As Jesus left the area of the praetorium where Pilate had given that final sentence of execution. He was delivered up to the Jewish leaders. He had spent the night prior ministering to his disciples on into the early mornings. And in the early mornings, remember, they'd gone over to Gethsemane, and there he prayed those intense times of prayer, the the, the sweat and blood dripping down off of his forehead in great drops. And then in the early pre-dawn came the arrest as the mob came out and took him and and, and drug him and and he faced the abuse then of not only the, the Jews and the Jewish leaders but then also the abuse of the Roman soldiers. And understand, having absolutely no sleep as dawn came, he began having the trial there at the Sanhedrin, then from the Sanhedrin to Pilate, from Pilate to Herod to Herod to Pilate. And each time he went to a different Roman setting, they would mock him, they would beat him, they would abuse him. He was whipped, he was beaten, scourged with that cat of nine tails with the pieces of metal and glass and any sharp kind of rocks, literally tearing his skin away from his bones. They say that he was abused so greatly, his face pummeled by fists, portions of his beard pulled out so badly that he was beyond recognition. Completely, physically exhausted and then forced to carry his own cross to Calvary. As he's walking down the way that they now call it the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, the the way of sorrow. He would have walked by hundreds, if not thousands, of pilgrims who had come into Jerusalem for the celebration. They came for a celebration. And now here, in the midst of all of their joy and excitement, comes a parade of Roman soldiers, followed by three criminals who are going to be executed, That day, that day of all days, that day of feast and and festivities, Jesus and these two criminals. And as they came, somewhere along the way, there stood a man by the name of Simon, a man of Cyrene, a coastal city that was in in North Africa, some 800 miles away. Some believed that Simon was was a man, a a black man, and, and for whatever reason, to be a part of that again, taking on. Because of the Romans forcing him to, taking upon himself that portion of the cross that Jesus was having to carry. Why Simon was there, had he traveled from Cyrene to to Jerusalem for the feast or had he moved to Israel sometime earlier, we really don't know. But this one thing I believe that we can be pretty certain of, the cross of Jesus was going to impact his life and his life, I believe, would be changed forever because he was at this particular place at this particular time. I believe, again, those God incidences that he works within our lives. To the onlookers, it would have seemed like just one more action of the Romans trying to humiliate the Jews as, again, He grabbed, they grabbed this man who had absolutely nothing to do with the crime, and yet he was now under orders to carry the cross of Christ. And yet what seemed to be a humiliation, I believe, probably came into a life-changing experience. All three of the synoptic gospels speak of not only his name but also his nationality, Simon of Cyrene, Simon the Cyrenian. Again, Mark gives us a little bit more of a clue as to the man and the connection of that man to the believers and to the first century church as he says, this was Simon of Cyrene, you you know, the father of Alexander and Rufus. He, He was saying it's somebody that you guys know. He's the father of Alexander and Rufus. So well known somehow among the first, the early century church. As a matter of fact, Paul, when he writes in Rome, he sends greetings to one named Rufus. Could that have been Simon's son? Very possibly. Speculation I understand, but it's interesting nonetheless that that particular name Paul brings out. Whatever the background, whatever the connection, this man was laid hold of by the Romans and then they laid upon him the cross of Christ. Some bear the cross in shame, some bear it in dedication and memory, even as jewelry right now. But Simon bore it out of compulsion by these Roman soldiers. There's no doubt that Simon had been in Jerusalem that early morning to get the full effect of the ceremony and of the celebrations, full benefit of the Passover time. He had come for that. He had come for religious purposes. But in the midst of religious devotion, he came face to face with the Savior. Although we can't be certain, personally, I believe that we're probably going to see this man at the great wedding feast, the one who bore the cross of Christ. But you know what? Each one of us are called to bear a cross, an instrument of death. Why are we called to bear the cross? Because we are called to remember that we're to die daily to ourselves to die daily to to the desires of the flesh, to die daily to the pull and the allurements of the world, to die daily to those things that don't bring glory and honor to our Lord. Simon was moved that day. I believe that he was moved from religious devotion to the reality of salvation. Well, as that process moved or the procession moved through the city, Uh, Luke tells us in verse 27 a great multitude of people followed him and women who also mourned and lamented him but Jesus turning to them said daughters of Jerusalem don't weep for me but weep for yourselves and for your children for indeed the days are coming in which they will say blessed are the barren wombs that never bore breasts which have never nursed then they will begin to say to the mountains fall on us and to the hills cover us if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? You need to understand professional mourners were, they, they were active in that day. It was a regular and a thriving business in the Middle East. Even today they are. But that's not what we find here. It's not professional mourners. I believe that throughout the ministry of Jesus we see within the gospel there were many women that were involved in his ministry. I believe that many of those women were right there in the midst of that crowd. Those women played a huge part in the support work of the ministry. And I believe not only those women were there, but probably women who were there in Jerusalem this week as Jesus ministered there in the temple, perhaps some that he had ministered to, perhaps some that he had healed, perhaps some that he had delivered. They were there in the midst of that crowd, and they began to mourn. And weep because they saw the suffering and the, the sure death that was about to be experienced by our Lord. And yet in the midst of all of his suffering, in the midst of his impending death, Jesus had compassion even on these women. He turned to them and said, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Because Jesus knew the consequences of the actions that were about to take place. Because Israel as a whole had rejected the Savior, they would have a severe cost to pay. And the whole nation, unfortunately, would pay it. As he said, for indeed, days are coming. I believe that Jesus was speaking a a dual prophetic message, which we find quite often in the prophet's words. A prophecy that would take place fairly quickly and yet a further more complete prophecy that would happen. The prophecy that would happen fairly quickly would happen within about 40 years of these events because in 70 AD the Roman soldiers under Titus came with several legions of Roman soldiers and they not only destroyed the temple but they ransacked and destroyed all of Jerusalem. They literally ran the Jews out of Israel. They were no longer a nation Uh, of of Jews. The land no longer belonged to them. From 70 AD there had not been a, a Jewish people holding again the authority within that land. There was not a nation of Israel that had their property that they lived in. They were scattered all over the known world. But then I believe also that he's speaking of that time, that, that, that great and that final judgment day, the period of tribulation, such has not been seen on the earth before nor will be after. There, there won't be a single city, there, there won't be a single country that won't be turned upside down during that time that is yet to take place. All of creation is going to be shaken to the very core. Jesus knew that both of these events were in the future, one that was going to happen very soon while the other was at a distant time yet to come. He knew them both to be a great time of suffering and trials. Even being caught in a landslide or an earthquake would have been more preferable for these women to face than to face the Roman soldiers during that time of the Jewish annihilation. Luke goes on to tell us in verse 32, there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand, the other on his left. Well, as Jesus and these other criminals and the Roman guard reached the top of Golgotha, they were in plain sight for all those in Jerusalem and all the surrounding areas to be able to view what's going on on top of that hill the crossbar would have been laid down on the ground. The prisoner then would have been thrown down upon that crossbar. One Roman soldier taking this arm, the other Roman soldier taking this arm, stretching them out to the optimum length. And then another Roman soldier or two driving a spike within the hands of the victim. In the past, we've looked and thought of being driven within the palm of the hand. But again, archeological finds and greater understanding realize that those spikes were probably drawn into the wrist area. Within the Roman and the Greek culture, the wrist was a part of the hand and considered to be part, and plus the bones that are there would be able to support the weight. The great pain of that, take for a moment right now if you would, take from one hand and press as hard as you can right into that area and you can see the the pain that could be driven right there through the The nerve. Can you imagine then a spike as big as your thumb or your forefinger being driven right through that and then your weight being pulled down upon that? It used several men after they nailed him to the cross. On each end lifting up, a few on the body lifting up the victim as they set him. And again, that patibulum being set and dropped into place on that upright. And then while they were still supporting his body, lifting him up some. They would place one foot over the other and drive a nail right through the ankle area of both feet, holding them securely in place. Some say that there was also a a, a saddle or at least a a, a a a board or a rod that stuck out of pop the place of the groin that at least there'd be some ease, but in that kind of a condition there was no ease in resting on that kind of a saddle. The pain, the agony, the screams, the cries, I believe they could have been heard throughout the entire area. You can't endure that much pain without crying out in the midst of it. The humiliation of it would would have been the least of their concerns, but that prolonged, that continual, that extreme pain would have been almost too much to bear. Oh, the old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, the old rugged cross so despised by the world, the old rugged cross stained with blood, so divine. In the midst of it all he has concern for you and I. Because hanging there in the fullness of his exhaustion, the fullness of his suffering and his pains, the first words that come out we see in verse 34. Father forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You see in reality you and I don't know what we're doing either. When we rebel against God and the great love of God reaches out to us and is given so much to obtain and to secure our salvation and yet we continually turn in acts of rejection, acts of rebellion, acts of disobedience. And yes, brothers and sisters, even for you and I as Christians, as people who say we are the children of God, being disobedient children says that they divided his garments and they cast lots and the people stood looking on and even the rulers with them sneered saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. Soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. And an inscription also is written above him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And though he truly was the king of the Jews they wouldn't have him as their king. And even today though he is truly king over all of his creation yet men continue to rebel against him and do not recognize him or receive him as the king. But let me give you a clue here folks. We can say I don't recognize you as a king but that doesn't lessen his kingship not one iota. For those that continue to reject his authority as king, they're eventually going to bow before him. They're eventually going to bow their knee before him. They're eventually going to declare him as king but at that point and at that day, it'll be too late because at that point and at that day they'll hear the words, depart from me. I never knew you you who practice lawlessness. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Nevertheless, even as he hung on that cross that day, being ridiculed by the soldiers, by the crowd, even by the criminal, one of the criminals hanging next to him, you need to understand that even at that very instance, a present and a powerful work of redemption was about to take place. Look at verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanging blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Ah, but verse 40, but the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turned and he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The simplicity of those words. The recognition of his kingship. The recognition of the life after. And a recognition and a surrender to the truth of who he was. Three rugged crosses. Two crosses of shame, suffering, disgrace, and scandal, but one cross, a wondrous attraction, stained with blood so divine. One, a wretched cross, and yet in the midst of its wretchedness, a wondrous beauty. Three men being executed. Two men, guilty as charged, paying the society for their sin. But one man, the dear Lamb of God, offering forgiveness even to those that drove the nails, even to pardon and to sanctify me. The certainty of his own soon loss of life. The one thief knew he was hanging next to the one who was the life giver. In the midst of all of his hopelessness that one thief rebuked the other and then he turned, I believe, by faith to the one who is the hope giver. One offender, knowing he had been executed for the guilt of his own sin, turned to the only one who through his death fully and completely paid for the sin of all mankind. By faith, this guilty one cried out to the king. And although the king's only throne was a cross, for that short period of time. He understood this true king would soon be seated in his eternal throne. And Jesus said to that man, assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise.
0: We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word.
1: Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow.
0: Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.